You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Today we are in the series called I Am. Uh, we talk about Jesus as uh, the bread of life last week. This week Jesus says something uh, a quite a bit provocative and uh, awesome. And so John 8, chapter, John 8, chapter 8, and verses 12 through 30. Let's read this together. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I have told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he, had been speaking, that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he said, as he was saying these things, Many believed in him. Let's pray. Father, we come under your word today. We believe it is sufficient for life and true. And so, Lord, as we approach you and as as we approach your word, Lord, will you forgive us our trespasses? Will you forgive us for the ways that we have not loved you well, for the ways that we have sinned against you this week, Lord? Will your grace extend to us? And will we 
Forgive the trespasses of others, Lord, in our life. Lord, help us to delight in you, delight in a God who is both bread and light. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. How you relate to somebody is determined by who you understand them to be. I'll say that again. How you relate to somebody is dependent on who you understand them to be. So many of our childhoods were filled with creative, adventurous stories of superheroes. Superheroes like Superman and Batman and Spider-Man. Can we just settle the debate, it's Batman all the way? And you Superman fans, you have weak arguments. And don't bring the Incredible Hulk into this, okay? That's just silly. We who grew up on superheroes love tales of superheroes, super strength, special powers, epic bravery. In moments of great distress, they would swoop in and save the day. Yet almost comically, they live the majority of their lives camouflaged as everyday individuals. Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, Peter Parker. They blended into their stories having normal day jobs, tasks to do, they would wait in line for drive throughs We, the readers of those comics or the watchers of those movies, had the special knowledge to know who they truly were. But the people in that story had no idea. The people in those plot lines didn't know. And it it was a whimsical moment for us when they revealed their true identity. (laughs) Superman is here. And we quipped to one another the stupidity of those around them. Like, they wouldn't have done that. Why would they do that? Superman's right next to them. If they had only known his true identity, they would have never stolen that television. How you relate to somebody is dependent on who you understand them to be. The stranger that walked by you at the store this week, you would have treated them differently had it been revealed to you that they were your long-lost brother or sister. That classmate of yours, the one that built Lego robotics and had a pet tarantula, you would have treated him differently had you known that he was going to start a billion-dollar tech business. In this series, we're asking this very question. How would you relate to Jesus if you truly understand who he was? Would it change us? And so over the last week, in the course of these next few weeks, we're letting Jesus speak for Jesus by his own authority to reveal to us who he truly is. And so we in this modern world have to some degree some knowledge of who exactly Jesus is. And so it can make us laugh when we read scripture and read about people who have no idea who they're dealing with. They would have never really known that or done that if they truly understood who Jesus was. But we also have to acknowledge that in this modern world, we would seemingly rather listen to people and pundits' opinions about important matters than to actually investigate the truth of them ourselves. And to that point, there are lots of people who have lots to say about Jesus, and far too few people who want to hear and study what he said about himself. Lots of people have beliefs that Jesus was God, that he died for humanity, that he gave us life, not just life, but abundant life. 
Yet it remains a, a bit of a paradox, does it not, that today we can have so many people who believe that Jesus Christ is God, who in humility came to the earth, who died for our sins, risen from the grave, served us deeply and fully, yet it's a paradox that we can believe in that kind of God and have so little life change and so little change in our desires. It is, or could be said, that if Jesus was Superman, we go around believing that he's Clark Kent. And to that degree, is it not worse than those in scriptures who did not know exactly who Jesus was, that we know exactly who Christ is, yet we dismiss him? And so might we, in these next few weeks, as Jesus speaks on his own authority, the truth of who he is, might we pray for ourselves that we would pray that God would deepen our insight of who he is, that we, he would deepen our understanding and knowledge and love for Jesus, the Son of God, the hope of the world, the bread of life. And so today, Jesus reveals himself with another provocative statement. He calls himself the light of the world. And so this is our big idea for the day. All of life, its purpose, its understandings, and truth are revealed in the person of Jesus Christ the light of the world. All of life, its purpose, understandings, and truth are revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And so as we enter into John chapter 8, just a few things to note here. Jesus is in Jerusalem for what is called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so this is something that is still regarded and still celebrated today. It's also called Sukkot or the Festival of Booths. And I don't know if you've heard of any of those things. And so the Feast of the Tabernacles is a week-long celebration that commemorates the 40 years that the Israelites wandered in the desert after the Exodus. All Israelites were to pilgrimage, to have a pilgrimage to the temple, to Jerusalem in that day, in which they were to sleep outside of the temple in tents or sukkahs, that would echo and represent what their ancient ancestors did in the wilderness, slept in tents. And this still happens today. If you would go to condensed Orthodox or Hasidic Jewish populations, you would see tents constructed in balconies. You would see them outside in other places. And so Jesus is here for the Feast of the Tabernacle. And this is the first time he has been back in the city of Jerusalem in about a year. He was there a year prior, just after the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it seems like, and we know that a lot has happened in that year. Uh, and a lot has happened, and the leadership in Jerusalem knows about it. The Sadducees and the Pharisees have taken note of what has happened in Jesus' ministry, and they're none too pleased. It's a bit of a hornet's nest. Jesus has walked into a city full of people who are looking to trap him, trick him, and kill him. And it's recorded that way in John 7 as we lead into John 8 um, to note that Jesus right here is six months away from his crucifixion. And so Jesus is fully aware of what is ready to meet him in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, in John 7, it says that he delays going to this celebration his brothers asked him to travel with them to Galilee, from Galilee to Jerusalem, but he stayed back. He, he knew that people would be looking for him in this crowd. And so he stays back and he goes to Jerusalem almost in secret. 
And halfway through the Feast of the Tabernacle, he shows up in the temple and he begins to teach. And our word records that it blew them away. Like he totally blows the crowds, the pilgrims in Jerusalem away. They are mystified with how one could have such learning. And the Pharisees, the the ruling council of the day, are so angry about it that they instruct some guards to go and seize him. And yet those guards come back to the chief priest after a while, and he asks the question, why have you not brought him to us? And they say, we have never met one that teaches like this. The crowd is divided. Some see Jesus as a prophet. Some see him as the Messiah. Others are bent on killing him for blasphemy. And their takenness by the person of Jesus is not from emotionalism. It's not that Jesus shocked the crowd with a great motivational speech or presentation. This wasn't a, a TED talk. He awed them with the truth. He awed them with his handling of the scriptures in which he revealed himself as he truly was and why he was there. And he moved a whole city one way or another. And so the Pharisees find themselves in this very precarious situation They have a crowd, a city that is taken by this man, Jesus. But they hate him. But they know if they try to take him, that they're going to incite a riot in this crowd, in this city. And so they are unable in this moment to lay a single figure on him. But what they do from that moment is try to trap him and trick him, to intimidate him and discredit him in front of this crowd so they might capture him without creating a ruckus. And they do that through questions. And you can read some of those questions in John 7. And then we come into John 8. And they bring this woman who's caught in adultery. And they think that they've set a trap for Jesus theologically. And it just backfires on them epically. They are amazed. Jesus is amazing in that moment. And they are left dumbfounded by his wisdom. Yet they refuse to see him as he truly is. And so it's against that backdrop in the city during the Feast of the Tabernacle that Jesus says this provocative phrase, I am the light of the world. And whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And that phrase would have been in response to a celebration, a ritual that happens during the Feast of the Tabernacle. In that day, devout men and women would gather on one of the temple's court called the Court of Women. It was a court that was open for all to come and worship him. And on that court, there were four large oil lamps, candelabras or menorahs, and they were 75 feet high. And so devout men would climb and light these things, and it would fill the courthouse, the court temple, and it would illuminate part of the city. And all day and all night, there would be celebration and dancing and delight and rejoicing in the light from these candelabras. And the light from those candelabras would symbolize a couple of things. They symbolized to the people of that day, number one, uh, symbolized God's radiant presence on earth. It's called Shekinah. Fun word, I've said it before, Shekinah. It's like the word Mufasa. Shekinah, ooh, right? Shekinah is not a biblical term. 
It's something that rabbis used in that day to describe the illuminating presence of God, God's glory, his presence. And so the light of those candelabras would symbolize that, God's presence with them. But it also would symbolize the pillar of fire that lit the way for their ancestors in the wilderness so that they could travel by night. And you can read about that in Exodus 13. A pillar of fire pierced the darkness and revealed the path forward for God's people. And so it is in this context and with that going on that Jesus reveals himself as the true light of the world. That whoever walks with him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life He's not making some disconnected claim. He's making an authoritative claim in the midst of a festival that delights and celebrates the light of God that reveals the way for God's people. And if you were in that city in that day, you would have known exactly what Jesus was claiming. I am the light of the world. You know exactly what he meant. Now, you can tell that the Pharisees have been preparing for this moment. They've been waiting for a year to talk to Jesus, and they are ready to challenge some of his claims. So immediately after he says, I'm the light of the world, they say to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Okay, so what's happening here? Well, the last time that Jesus was in Jerusalem was about a year ago. And during that time, he healed a man who was lame, who could not walk for many years. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were all up in arms then because he healed him on the Sabbath, the holy day. And during that interaction, they they came to persecute him. And here's how Jesus defends himself. This is John 5. He said, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And this is the phrase that they are going to hang on to here. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. And so they, the Pharisees, are so angry with Jesus. They want him dead. He's so popular that they can't do anything that they find this moment. Yes, they find this moment that they think we can finally diminish him. We can finally sort of discredit him. Ah, he said a year ago that if he brought testimony about himself, he was a liar. And they try to call him out on it. But Jesus just, <laughs> just goes and be Jesus. It's like a cat playing with a wounded mouse. He just runs circles around him. In fact, he uses the question that these Pharisees ask him to make himself more glorious that many in attendance would actually come to believe in him. He says that even if there, if there ever was one who could testify about himself, it's me. But if you want somebody to substantiate my claims here, well, you can talk to my father. He sent me. And this is a bold claim. 
Like, he is saying, well, God will tell you <laughs> who I am. Like, nobody else gets to do that. Like, if anybody does that in your world, yeah, just run. Run from that. Only the Son of Man gets to say that. Only the Son of Man, whom for millennia and generations the Father has been testifying about through the ancient scriptures. And their leaders have refused to see it. In Isaiah 9, we have this beautiful prophecy about the Messiah that we often quote around Christmas time. This beautiful prophecy about the way that Christ would come. And it says, For unto us a son is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his government and peace there will be no end. But moments before Isaiah pins that beautiful prophetic vision of Christ, he writes about the, what the Messiah will do. In Isaiah 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 2, he says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, of them has light shone. The Messiah will be the light that dispels the darkness, the great light. And this is what Jesus Christ is claiming in this moment when he said that I am the light of the world, that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In front of a feast that delights in the light of God, Jesus is saying those are all but shadows, that the true light of God is here. But not only did Jesus say that God would bear witness about him as the Messiah, but he says to this crowd that if you actually knew me, you would know him. That if you knew me, you would know the Father because we are one in the same. Jesus is the light of God, the full radiance of God. And all of scripture has testified about him. John, the very author of this gospel, writes in his beginning in John chapter 1, the truth of who Jesus was. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, who came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, who was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The author of Hebrews writes in the first chapter about Jesus and he says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. At this festival that delights in the light of God, known as Shekinah, God's illuminating presence that once dwelled in the temple, Jesus says, I am. Jesus' declaration here is not just the Messiah, a, a king that they thought that would come and restore the Israelites politically to their glory, but God himself, the God of the universe in flesh, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I am, whose cosmic plan is not to subjugate his creation, but actually come and liberate it to set them free from darkness 
to light their path, to provide the way forward as he did once during the Exodus. Jesus is the light, the true light, and nothing can or will ever overcome it. And by him, all things shall be seen. Think about the ways in which we use light and consider how Christ fulfills them all. Light guides our path, doesn't it? In our word, we're reminded that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. Light promotes our growth in agriculture and flowers and flora and fauna. Yet we remember Jesus in John 15 when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. We'll talk about that more when we talk about Jesus as the true vine. He is growth. Light warms and comforts. Light warms our homes. It brings us comfort when we're weary. And Paul writes of our Lord in 2 Corinthians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. He's our comfort. Light confirms our security. Light deters evil and provides safety and refuge. John's, or, or Paul says in Romans, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angel nor demon, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is our security, and he is our light. Yet in this passage, Jesus is contending to be all of those things, yes. But most importantly, he is revealing himself as the light that reveals all truth. He is the light of life. And as Jesus was speaking to these Pharisees, it was clear that he was unaccepted by them. He was unacceptable to them. And to answer a question that was said mockingly, who are you? Jesus responds to this group and crowd with this. He says, just what I have been telling you. This is in John 8. From the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And they didn't understand that he was speaking about the Father, so he said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is the true light that reveals the corrupt and broken hearts of humanity, of us. He is the light that reveals our sin, an incorruptible light that shines into the darkness of this world, inviting all of those to come who can see it. Jesus says to the Pharisees of that day, whom found him unacceptable, you are of this world, I'm not of this world, and I told you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe in me and that I am he, 
you will die in your sins. They refuse to see the I am. They refuse to see Jesus as a light. And one day, Jesus says that you will know it. When you raise me up, and he's not talking about the moment in which they hang him on the cross, but when they raise him up, and then one day, they come face to face with him in his authority, they will have no questions about who he is. It will be plainly aware to him, or those of those days, of his authority when they meet him in judgment. And so I want to end on two things today as we think about this phrase, I am the light of the world. One, that if you're a believer in here, if you have faith in Christ, if you have placed your belief in Jesus, then take heart in knowing that you have an inexhaustible, uncorruptible light that pierces the darkness in you and around you. Whoever believes in him will never walk in darkness. Certainly, that doesn't mean that there won't be struggles and trials in our life. Jesus himself had them. But it means because of the light, we will be secure and with abundant peace. Jesus is the light of the world. And certainly that light is still here actively today, revealing our sin, exposing our heart, because that is what light does. It liberates, it reveals. But we can, by that same light, have assurance and security and comfort and peace, the same light that reveals guides. And so we can rest in those promises today. And secondly, if you're in here today and you don't know Christ and you don't believe, then I humbly and gently remind you of the truth that Jesus reveals about himself in Scripture, that he is the light of the world and that you are in darkness. And if you are in darkness, you are condemned. And there will be a day when Jesus will be known to you when he will be lifted up, when one day all the wrath and justice that God has on sin will be known. Jesus is the light of the world. In him, all of life finds its worth. In him, all of humanity's sins have been paid. He is the answer to our most fundamental need, a relationship with God, and it is by him that we are saved. We must believe that he is the light and we must walk in his light. And so today, might we reimagine our relationship with Christ? Might we reimagine our relationship with light in a way that doesn't undermine or diminish and dilute what Christ said by his own authority? that he is the light of the world, and all that follow him, all that seek him, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And it is all for our joy. This is the big idea today. All of life, its purpose, its understanding, and truth are revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. He's not a flashlight. He's not a lamp in a room. He lights the entire world up. He reveals, he guides, he comforts. He is the light of our life. Amen.